This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that would love to be on the rich list but isn't quite there yet. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me, as always, is Andrew Page. G'day, Andrew. Hi, Scott. Hi, Fools. G'day, Fools. Now, we're going to talk about a few things today, Andrew. We're going to start with what seems to be the the idea du jour right now, the idea Ooh. of the day. That is takeovers. There are takeovers absolutely everywhere. Yep. What's going on? What does it mean? Deal or no deal. We will talk about the aforementioned rich list. Mm-hmm. Who is at the top, the very pinnacle of Australian wealth and who slid down the list? Not us, sadly. No, that's true. We'll also go to the Motley Fool mailbag. We'll rip open that mailbag, mm-hmm. maybe with or without a sound effect, courtesy of our good mate Liam Flanagan. And at the end, I feel like red face. You know they say that the segment you all love and we all hate, that kind of thing? Oh, yes. It's our high horse. It's high horse. And this time it's my turn to climb above that noble steed and ride valiantly into the sunset. See if you can top my 15-minute diatribe from last week. <laughs> Realistically, we should have made that a serial, shouldn't we? we just break it up, really. publish it in the newspaper daily like they used to do in the just old days. Just call it, and another thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we should, that's what it should be it called, should another be called thing. and another thing. <laughs> let's not do that just yet. Let's, okay. let's, keep our, let's keep our listeners in suspense, or okay. maybe just uh, allow them to avoid the misery for a bit longer. Let's start with takeovers, mate. There's been a bit going on on the ASX only in the last week, but it's kind of been coming for a couple of months. What's going on? Look, there's always a bit of a background of takeovers. Uh, you know, it's 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 a it's a wonderful way, in theory, for companies to grow when they don't have any growth opportunities <laughs> themselves. You buy another business, you bolt it on, you do your thing. Right. But you're right. There seems to be an elevated level at the moment. The ones that have been getting the most attention, we've got our oil giant Santos. Mm-hmm. Actually, a lot of retail investors in that. It's so a very good chance that some of our listeners have some money in the that. The South Australian Northern Territory Oil Service is what oh, is that, I did, did you know not that? No. There I you go. Didn't. I've enlightened you, mate. I've done my job for the day. I can go home. As, as we always say, that we love a good acronym, don't, don't we? we? And that... Um, my my si- favourite my, my favorite are th- the TLAs. The three-letter acronym, three letter acronyms, which is also a TLA. Yes, hey, hey. I, I love it. I How love bad it. is that? So with Santos, um, my sympathies for those that do hold it, in fact. <laughs> oh, and and that, nice. that's going to be – well, it's going to be uh, raise an eyebrow too because it's actually been on a stonking run in the last year or so, um, in part because of this takeover offer Indeed. that came. But what a woeful tale of, of shareholder loss it has been over any meaningful time frame. Right. Um, and we've talked about that before. It's just, man, you, you are just so dependent on this underlying commodity. You've got to spend billions to just get the stuff out of the ground. Um, it's it's just been terrible. But hope springs eternal. And and um, I forget now, uh, this mob wanted to take them over. They offered- Harbour Energy. That's it, Harbour Energy. US. They offered a, uh, a pretty decent sized uh, bid. And the board said, no, get stuffed. And actually- 14.4 billion Australian dollars was the bid. Harbour Energy describes themselves as, get this, an energy investment vehicle. Oh, I like it. Did you like that? I do not How really, actually. Sound? No, I, don't. I, I like that. No, no. no I, I all I hear is fees, i got to tell you. That's, I think that, that's an, a trust set up by somebody who's making a lot of money yeah. investing someone else's money. And and they had, it was it was funny, there was no love loss between Santos and, and Harbour in, right. in, the, in the barbs that were sort of chain, uh, traded afterwards. Indeed. But as as you would expect, now when when the board rejects a takeover bid, the the rationale is and always should be if you're going to reject it is actually we we think it's worth more than what you're paying. Mm-hmm. And what I thought one of the many interesting things at this takeover is that when the, the board said no, we don't want your money, it's it, it undervalues the company. Um, oil price is surging. We're cutting costs out. We're reducing our debt. All this good stuff. Um, and then when the takeover bid was withdrawn, the, the market obviously fell yeah. after that. And then the, I think it was the chairman said. Um, 
well, you know, it was ev- the price was elevated because of the takeover. It's like, whoa, wait, <laughs> wait, wait, go back a bit there. It was either that was an unfair bid mm-hmm. or, you know, it, it just didn't make sense. But anyway, one of the interesting things there, HealthScope was the other one um, that you mentioned. Uh, HealthScope being a private hospital operator. They also got a pathology business as well. They do. Um, uh, they also kicked it back as well. So they had a couple of bids, one from a local mob, one from an overseas mob. Australian Super, uh, who's a big shareholder in HealthScope. Part of that consortium, yes. And, 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 uh, who else was it? Uh, someone from B, you know, someone from America. I can't remember who exactly right, it was, but right. Australian Super owning that stake basically said it's our way or the highway. Yeah. Healthscope said no to them. You know what's interesting about the Healthscope bid is they've refused to let anybody come and look at the books. Yeah, that was interesting. So let's let's yeah. dig into that a little bit just okay. for listeners who aren't necessarily as as I say with the arcana of of takeovers as we are. Normally, what happens is a, a bidder makes an approach, says, "Hey, we'd like to offer you about this much," mm. and. If you're interested, give us a look at your books and we'll firm up the offer. They open what they call a data room. Yes, for due data diligence. Data room if you're an Australian. Data room, data, yeah, Sorry, I realised as soon as I said Thanks, Elon. My wife would kill me. <laughs> We'd have to talk about Elon later. Just so we do, as yeah. always. But yeah, so the uh, and due diligence is the, is the other phrase given to it. Normally, as long as the offer is kind of reasonable-ish, yeah. you kind of want to stoke the interest of the bidder. You kind of want to say, yeah, okay, okay come and have a look. Just to show them we'll there's no them skeletons tax, in the right? closet. Yep. I, I like your car. I'd like to buy it from you. Do you mind yep. if I take it around the block? Yep. I'll sure. take it to the mechanic for a quick once-over. Yep. Right. And so you kind of think, you know, that seems reasonable. HealthScope to both bidders said, no, you can't come in. And I, that kind of surprised me a little bit. What do you think? I thought it was very surprising. It, 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 there's two ways to look at it. And there's the cynical way. Um, and You're an economist, aren't you? On one <laughs> hand, on the other hand. Oh, yeah, that's right. And look, maybe the board is just so super confident in the assets they've got and the growth opportunities that they have. It's just, look, it just we're just not going to entertain it. It's not mm. even close and we're super confident of it. It does seem odd because HealthScope is all, and it hasn't been listed for that long, but it doesn't have a great record. It has underperformed the market since listing. It's In fact, the, the same day that they rejected the takeover offer, they downgraded their, their guidance as well. Right. Right. It's it's just been really a poor performer in an area where others like Ramsey and that in the space have just been shooting the lights out. Mm. Um, so 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 there's that, um, or maybe it's just there's actually we do, we do not want you to shine a spotlight here. If you wanted to take the more uh, skeptical, that's view. kind of the weird thing, right? So the market says HealthScope's worth X. A bidder says, "We'll offer you more than that." In other words, yep. we think it's more than your current shareholders think mm-hmm. it's worth. Mm-hmm. But but the board says no, we won't talk to you because we think it's worth even more than that, despite the market not agreeing with us. And it's, it's almost those- enough for me to stay away. Well, there's other things that I'm not interested in because of Hellstone, but right. that that in itself is kind of a maybe a bit of a red flag. It's just a little bit weird. Like I mean, there've been scenarios where we'll get to a couple others. Let's do that first. So Certex, mm-hmm. tell me about Certex. Certex uh, makes uh, these little spheres, these micro nano sphere mm-hmm. type things. Is got potential in a whole bunch of cancer uh, applications. And it's a business, like we've we've talked about the difficulties of this sort of biomedical space, but Certex has been one of the better ones. Yeah. And they had a, the, the, uh, it hasn't, I haven't followed it closely, but they had a takeover offer a while ago now. Yeah, it was due to close maybe this week or next, I think. Really right. soon anyway. Yeah. And you have to give me the punchline because I even forget. What yeah. So, so basically another bidder's come in at the 11th hour and said, hey, we'd like to offer you a little bit more. Oh, yeah, which that's right. Which yeah, really, yeah. really, really unusual. Like normally there's bidding wars that happen before a takeover gets mm. gets agreed. And so 
they'll agree to one deal. Someone else will come in the next day or the next week and say, I'll give you some more. Maybe it takes a couple of months to thrash out. But then once yeah. the deal is done, the deal is kind of done. It's yeah. really, really rare. Someone come in at the last minute. Yeah. So there's that. There's also the Westfield takeover, of course, that oh, was sorry, finalized yes, this yes, week. Yes. Um, you were mentioning this morning that Green Cross. I just saw the, something the in the business? AFR about uh, private equity potentially sniffing around Green Cross. Right. Green Cross. Um, and so, you, so, so, so let's, rather than use examples, what is this telling you, Andrew, about what's happening on the market? So many takeovers in a relatively short space of time. Well, what's going on? The great thing about the, the share market. Um, and the economy is that if you've got a particular narrative that you're fond of, you'll go out there and you'll find <laughs> you'll find evidence of it. You know, yes. you want to be super bullish? Here's a bunch of evidence that shows you're right. <laughs> you think the world's about to end? Here's a bunch of stuff that'll show that you're right. Um, right. And it's it, it has this kind of thing has not gone unnoticed by by those in in our industry in our space and and people will point to periods such as 2000 and 2007 and really it tends to be before major market ructions. There's that our ructions. favorite word again, ructions. Um, that's, not my, that's my second favorite word. What's the first one? The, the, the word I have for a correction. Oh, uprections. There we go. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, that's, that's my favorite word. <laughs> that's that. Sorry, that is my definitely my favorite word as well. If you're not familiar with that one, Fools, welcome to the podcast. And if you go back a few podcasts, you'll hear the origin of the word uprection, <laughs> which is when the market goes up 10%. Yeah, it, it's not what it sounds like. And and so anyway- what does it sound like? Nothing. So okay. what-, so what uh, Tell me about the ructions. So- it, what some are suggesting is that we are seeing these very high elevated level of deals. Yes. Um, it's a frothiness that is out there. And is it, does it, is that a, is that a indicator of tough times to come? What would you say? I, I'm one of those people who, you know, so I'm a, I'm a, predict, a prepare, don't predict kind of guy, okay. right? So there's some people who will say, we know this headline after headline after headline saying the market is going to crash. RBS, the, the, the investment bank or the retail bank, famously in January of 2016, I want to say. Yeah, a couple of years ago. Came to sell everything. <laughs> of course, the yeah. market's up since then. We've had other people who come out regularly. Those who've been bearish since 1972 and still saying the market's going to crash. Well, they'll be right eventually. Well, that's exactly right. So there's plenty of people who are prepared to stick their neck out for largely PR reasons. Mm. Kind of not really our go. I'd rather say, you know what? What, what, I, would, what I would say is markets and, and economies are cyclical. Mm-hmm. And to some degree, we're at a point now where- this feels like the next stage of a of a, a bull market mm-hmm. where you kind of go from a little bit of interest, some economic growth, market's okay. Companies have gone from hoarding their cash post-GFC yeah. to then doing some buybacks, trying to use some money. It feels to me like the risk meter's kind of been turned up to, if not 11, maybe to seven or eight. Yeah. Companies are now starting to reach out and look for – look to buy growth yeah. and we kind of know that most of these deals don't statistically work out no well. they don't and yet people are, are, are filling their boots with takeover so it just says to me that uh, you know I I don't invest ever on the basis of where markets are or aren't because mm-hmm. I'm trying to catch the markets as a mugs game yep. I dollar cost average I invest regularly I buy what's good value at the time sometimes it doesn't be, sound nearly sophisticated that's enough very to exciting, be sensible does it? right but exactly but it is so but I would say uh, so here's my thing to our listeners I would say don't be don't be captured by the the kind of um, louder and louder rhetoric about how great things are and how everyone should pile in. Mm. If if I'm right, and this is the beginning of another kind of leg of the bull market, mm. next thing, everyone will be making money. The cab driver's giving you tips. This is kind of another step towards that euphoria that often mm. marks the top of markets. And mm. so you won't know it when it's there. You won't know it till after the mm. fact. But you can look at some of these things and say, keep investing anyway, but just be mindful of not getting caught up with the rhetoric that starts to carry on from people who – Saying everything's great, any price is fine, yeah. business models don't matter, and all of a sudden we're, we're well, investing. Well, that was the point I was going to make. It's this idea of, of price and and, and value. It, it, and I, I think health, HealthScope and Santos are good examples of this. Um, as I said, I'm no great fans of either business, but when when you've got another 
Look, when you buy a share, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm old-fashioned, but really, I, I the, gen, the genuine desire is that I hold that for a long, long, long time, and my wealth is just compounded over a very long period, and hopefully get a few divs along the way. It's it's just far easier and far more rewarding than trying to like have a full-time job of trading in and out all the time, and probably um, being wrong, right? That's and yeah, you know, it's just it's so so. I genuinely, you know. It's, it's with mixed emotions when you're holding shares in a company that gets a takeover. On one hand, you sort of bought this for, for one reason. On the other hand, the market's just jumped on that news, <laughs> which is which is nice to have as well. But but particularly like a, a company like Santos, which we, we know is just, you know, had, had a lot of problems. And look, if the oil price is another, you know, 20 bucks a barrel higher in six months' time, the board will be seen as a genius. They probably did the right thing. Exactly. Mark, but if, if it's not, and who knows? Um, then it's going to go the other way. So I, I'm, I am, uh, I am also a proponent of a bird in the hand worth more than two in the bush. Yeah. And, and I think with some of these deals, y- yes, you're right. Um, uh, it is, it is a sign of frothiness. But you know, when when you get something that's just almost too good to be true, I would have been tempted to take it. And, and, and remember, if a deal doesn't go through and you are in this situation, there's always the market, right? The market reflects a lot of these deals. You can just go on and sell on market regardless of what happens. Nice position to be in, isn't it? It is. It is. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, I want to give you one number. Mm -hmm. I want you to tell me what it means. $12.9 billion. That sounds like the kind of fortune one could amass if one had a very large cardboard packaging business. <laughs> Am I close? That's remarkably prescient of you, and goes to show you can Google with the rest of them, Andrew Page. <laughs> okay, sure Let's can. hold that. So the, the, the reason I ask is because only, was it today or yesterday, they've released, they being Fairfax, and, mm-hmm. and the uh, used to be the BRW, now it's the Financial Review Rich List. Yes. We now know the 10 richest people in Australia. Mm. Now, we know I'm the top 100, to, don't we? Well, or we do. 200, we do. Fact. I'm going to give away number 10. With five and a quarter billion dollars, it's James Packer. Jamie. He of the originally media empire, now gambling empire largely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A couple other things besides, including a nice boat and a few other good stuff. <laughs> yep. uh, he, he's coming in at number 10. So it wasn't long ago that his old man Kerry was the richest bloke in Australia. Yep. Now, James has more money than Kerry ever had, but can't quite crack it for the top five. In fact, coming in at number 10. Mm-hmm. Another one I'll pull out, number eight, is Andrew Twiggy Forrest here for the Fortescue fame. This is a really cool story. Built the business from the ground up, mm-hmm. literally took a whole lot of risks, almost went broke a couple of times. Now himself worth a cool six billion bucks, which yeah. will, you know, pay the private school fees and uh, a bit of walking around money. Well, mate, if you want to talk about digging holes, um, oh. Gina is number three on the list with $12.68 billion. Gina. Gina Reinhardt. Right. And what does Gina do, mate? She digs holes. And she digs, she digs rocks out of holes and she sells them to China. Indeed. And, and she does very well out of that. Very, very true. So, uh, Jenna the heiress to the Lang Hancock fortune, of course, in mm-hmm. WA, mm-hmm. iron ore. So, again, think, think about digging holes in iron ore in particular. We've got a couple of people there. Ivan Glassberg as well on the list. He was behind Glencore, the energy, the um, commodities trading business that most yep. people haven't heard of. But he's made himself a nice $8.3 bucks. So, kind of, a, we sort of rattle through some of these names. A lot of old family money there um, is. Uh, that's in there. Um, Australia, you know, um, houses and holes is our gig. So uh, we haven't got to the property side of thing yet, but oh, we should. God. We have to mention um, have to? Frank Lowy, uh, Harry Triggerbuff. Um, they're all in in property. Um, they rank very highly as well. But what was interesting? We mentioned this last year when we ran through the list. Some of the the new up up and comers, fresh money, mm. and more with technology. We're just not 
um, sadly don't have the strongest technology sector in Australia, but Mark, uh, Mike, sorry, Cannon Brooks and Scott Farquhar are both with $5.16 billion each. These are the uh, the founders of uh, technology business Atlassian. They don't now, quite make the top 10, but that'd be, I wouldn't mind being 11th with $5 billion bucks. That'd uh, probably... They're okay. They're, they're <laughs> just some, fine. That's some comfort. They're okay. I'll take that. Yeah. What's interesting too is that a lot of these swings, I guess we've got to remember too that when, when the AFR tallies up these, mm-hmm. these fortunes, uh, the majority of these fortunes are tied to companies. Yes. And if we know anything about companies, we know that those prices can be very <laughs> volatile. So a lot of the changes really from year to year swing around, not because of necessarily what's changed in terms of the, you know the, the amount of cash they've got in the right. bank or any of the sort of All hard assets yeah. type stuff. It's, yep. it's really you get these fluctuations in in um, in, in share price. Uh, Gates and, and Buffett will often trade position at world number one, just right, you know, depending right. on what Berkshire or, or Microsoft is doing. So, so. Do you know what's funny, though? If you look at the list of the top five this year, and, and we'll go down the list and, and unveil number one, mm-hmm. we've kept it nicely hidden. You're like that. We're, we're, we're very big in the suspense game. It's like, it's like a <laughs> no, breakfast radio. No prizes right? for guessing, though. <laughs> given what we've already said. But, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure if people would guess. Yeah, we'll yeah. see. Okay. Of the top five, none as of yesterday actually control or own large chunks of public companies. Oh, interesting. Probably for yeah, the right. first time, I think, yeah, almost ever. I didn't spot that. Okay, and it's, yeah. It's funny. You're right about some of the other people in the in the top 10, in the top couple of hundred. Yeah. It is very much public company fortune related. Right. This time, and it's interesting because there's a whole lot more money being made and put into private equity funds right now, mm. managed funds. What we don't talk about often is the number of publicly listed companies around the world has actually decreased massively in the last 20 years. That's true. And companies like Uber and Airbnb and some of those big, Mm. you mentioned that last year and they've gone public, but Mm. a lot of the big kind of tech behemoths either are only newly public or haven't even gone public Mm. yet. There is definitely a a change to what's available and what we can invest in. So if we go down from number five to one, Frank Lowy Mm -hmm. is the number five richest Australian with $8.4 billion. He was in charge of Westfield, Mm -hmm. is now. Uh, independently wealthy, having sold Westfield to Uniball Redamco in, in Europe. Mm-hmm. He does still have a minority shareholding. So to be fair, he's, his money is to some degree tied up to that. But effectively, these days, now a, a private citizen and uh, and very rich. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hugh Wing Mao, which I've probably mispronounced, um, is a Chinese Australian who has a massive property company in Hong Kong. Yep. We have Gina Reinhardt, you've already mentioned, with $12.7 billion. Can I just add to that? As, uh, go down further on the list, and her daughter Bianca is ranked 19 yes. with, a, with a separate $3.3 billion. It's not bad, is so it? So if you were to sort of combine that as a, right. a one family, then that would actually push her... Would it push her to the front? It would. It would. it would push her to the front, yes. The Reinhardt family. Harry Trigiboff, we didn't mention yet, though you did allude to property. Yep. Harry owns the Meriton oh. business of apartments. If you've ever driven through Sydney, and I'm sure most Australian capitals, mm-hmm. you can't escape Meriton. And that that boom ret- continues to, to roll on, roll on, roll on, 12.8 mm-hmm. billion bucks. And the top num is? Anthony Pratt. Tell me about and family. Right. So cardboard boxes. Yes. Um, they're kind of side little boxes made of ticky tacky. They they, they oh, well okay. they, they're very they're very useful for the economy in terms of you know goods being packaged up and sent around and and thanks Captain Obvious. What's <laughs> it's it's complicated stuff. Well, <laughs> I, I probably need a whiteboard to explain the, the box industry. But it's amazing because it is it is a I mean you kind of look at that and on on a, on a high level it's like where are the barriers to entry there? Where is the high Return on investment that right, you can right. get in those businesses, but it's very, it's very much a scale-driven business. The, the largest kind of has the lowest cost, tends to win, and they've been there for a long time. But, but Mr. Pratt in particular and mm-hmm. family have had some real success in the U.S. lately, which has really springboarded that wealth. And in fact, if you don't know Anthony Pratt, you might know he's now deceased, old man Richard Pratt. And if you don't know Richard Pratt, you probably know the name of the company, which is Pratt Industries. 
<laughs> we'll cut that later. The name of the company is Busy, of course. Even I knew that one. <laughs> Who was it? Who was I it? I was Liam? literally looking at the AFR article, and, and I mainly knew it because of the uh, Chris Judd. There you go. That was part of the move from West Coast Eagles to Carlton. Was he had a relationship with Dick Pratt and did a lot of the recycling. Which the with AFL Vizzy. became a bit sceptical about that agreement. For Vizzy, there you gotcha. go, see? Gotcha. So, Liam, thank you for adding some value back to the program. Uh, from next week, Andrew will be behind the panel, and Liam and I will be uh, doing the podcast. <laughs> uh, so, Vizzy Industries, of course, you will have seen on cardboard boxes everywhere. You may have seen the name Pratt Industries somewhere, but it wouldn't have been on cardboard boxes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll edit that later. Yes, please. Um, so, $12.9 billion for the Pratt family. And, and you also may have seen, if you look closely, Anthony Pratt in some photos with... The US President, Donald Trump. Oh, yeah. He's a bit of a Donald Trump fan. Whether that's by dint of politics or pragmatism, we don't mm-hmm. really know. We probably mm-hmm. will never know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's certainly been a very strong supporter and vocal supporter of Donald Trump. Uh, and the company is doing, as you say, very, very well in the United States. No connection necessarily between the two. I didn't say that. It- okay. Mate, so, so <laughs> neither right you on. nor I yep. appear on the rich list. No. Liam, Liam knowing Chris Judd and therefore knowing Dick Pratt and therefore, you know, maybe uh, having only a- Only a notch or two away, I'm sure. Maybe having a side gig with, with Vizzy for all we know. But are they are- happy, mate? mate? Like, uh, you know, frankly, would you even want to be there? <laughs> I'm just trying to make us all feel a bit better. Mate, if I can be miserable with money or miserable without money, I'll take the I'll with take, money. Take Thank the you with very it, much. Yeah, Give yeah, her that choice. Why not? Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Let's move to the Motley Fool mailbag. Yes. We got some nice correspondence. Well, I say nice. I'll, I'll put that in, in air quotes because- We don't read out the non-nice stuff. Well, so not only that- It's always going to be nice if we're talking about it. Uh, well, see, in this case, it wasn't- Well, maybe it is nice, maybe it's not. I'm not exactly sure. So, okay. a Sly Dark Horse 69, who is a regular correspondent, and we thank you for your, your tweets. Thank you. I, I tweeted about something Elon Musk had said. Mm. And I, so Elon's whinged about journos being unfair to Tesla, right? Which, given all the free press Tesla has had over the last few years, I find it incredibly hard to stomach mm. Elon complaining about journos giving him a hard time. Mm. It has had the most free press, I, I want to say any company, maybe except Amazon, yeah. in the entire world of the last few years. So Elon says, problem is journos are under constant pressure to get max clicks and earn advertising dollars or get fired. Tricky situation is Tesla doesn't advertise, but fossil fuel companies and gas and diesel car companies are among the world's largest advertisers. In other words- The implication being right. they pay the bills, they get more favorable treatment. Now, yep. I said, is it just me or are journos doing something right when both Musk and Trump are shouting fake news? Mm-hmm. I thought that was reasonable. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, our good mate, a sly dark horse 69, has said, what are Sage Simeon's thoughts? And that's you or some- you're Sage Simeon, right? Yes. Um, yeah. Twitter. Yep. Sa- Sage Simeon. At Sage Simeon. That's a weird name. That's not that weird. Have you been like social media? They're a far, far Wazanian name. Yes, mate, but I can't laugh at those people. That's I can true. only laugh at you, so okay. I will. Okay. Um, so, so he's asked, what are your thoughts? And, I, and as much as I want to think that's some nice correspondence, yeah. I can't help but think he just wanted to give trolling? you a- I didn't take it I that think, way. I think you, no, that's what, he wanted to give you a platform to give me a hard time is what I'm worried about. Oh, that's okay. why I don't, the okay. tweet is so nice. He wasn't, he wasn't trolling you. He was possibly trolling me. Suggesting that maybe I should ask you about Elon Musk on this podcast. But luckily for him, I'm smart enough not to ask you about Elon Musk. You know, on this it's, it's really fun. Whether it's finance or sport or politics or anything, you, you we have this for or against kind of thing. So, uh, you know, I, I'm on the, I've got a t shirt with Elon Musk's face on it, for God's sake. <laughs> I, I've, for God's I, sake, I've, is the right response. We've, by the we've way. talked a bit about my, you know, um, man crush on him before. He's just. He's just a, he's done some really and he's doing some really really cool things and it, it's it's kind of inspirational really. 
But the trouble is, is that, you know- You're fawning, mate. There is, there is this other side of Elon, which is a little bit, you know, he's a little bit crazy. There, 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 is, a, there is a potential future where- I don't know. Elon's Elon's built a crystal palace in in the North Pole and wearing a Superman cape. You know, he, he's he is just he's got the money and the the personality to just go off the reservation from time to time. Yeah, that's fair to say. And and so so I guess and the, and the occasional but, predilection for uh, intoxicating substances too. I think it's fair it to seems that that's the, that seems to be the conspiracy because every now and again he'll go on this sort of like um, Twitter storm where he's a little. I don't know. It doesn't seem as though he's too. Coherent. You're in. It's really bizarre. But my point is, it's kind of like if you like someone, it's. I think the implication is that you must like everything about them, and I think it's the same with Buffett as well. You know, we talk a lot about him. Hey, he's hey, got hey, some. Hey, hey. He's, let's, you not, know, let's, not, let's not use two in the same breath. Here. Well, you know, he, Elon's uh, a Johnny Come Lately pretender. Buffett is the king. He's the unquestioned supreme oracle of Omaha. We're all human, is I guess what I'm saying, and no one's perfect. So you've got to be hef- careful not to sort of hero worship too much of these Except guys. Warren. So when it comes to something like when Elon does this, my approach is, oh, Elon, God bless your cotton socks. <laughs> Just keep making your electric cars and your rockets. <laughs> we love you for that. But, you know, some things, if, if I, I, think, I think he needs a, a close personal trusting friend, and, and I'll put my hand up if he wants to hang out any day, um, to say, mate... Um, <laughs> Next time you're on the happy pills, just let me <laughs> let me take your phone away from you. It's just you'll thank me later. I'm I'm still personally a little bit concerned that Elon is Elon doesn't mind taking a few personal risks, and I'm all for personal responsibility, personal freedom. Mm-hmm. I don't think he really realizes if this goes horribly wrong, Tesla comes crashing to earth. The whole electric vehicle movement potentially comes like there is a decent amount of kind of humanity's future resting on how well Tesla does from yeah, here. Yeah. I kind of partly <laughs> there is a decent amount of public good in taking him from the office, locking him in a little padded cell, and letting him back to the office the next morning, just making sure he doesn't come to any harm. Is my, I just, this my is, biggest concern. This is with not just about Elon, but so many people like this. It's kind of those traits that get them there in the first place. That's the, true. The right? hyper rational, risk adverse yeah. guy or girl doesn't do it. And then they're, right, therefore they're right. not they're not heard of. I mean, there's a bunch of silent evidence out there for the people who are just as zany and, and you know <laughs> build gas uh, steam powered rockets to prove that the world is flat. And you just you know yeah. don't hear as much about those kind of people. But you know, I'm I for one, I'm really glad that there are people like that out there doing this kind of wild and wacky stuff. And you know, if, if the cost of that is is that they're going to say some interesting <laughs> things, and just you know grab the popcorn, enjoy the ride, and right. and hope that on balance things are, are for the greater good. That's my response. <laughs> I'm sticking to it. Oh, there we go. Jeez, that made me get the hell out of me. Too. <laughs> I thought a plane just. <sighs> okay. it, it was actually scarily loud in my headphones too. That was the mailbag. Okay. okay. I tell you what, mate, the mailbag was very close to taking my head off just then. It was flew straight to the top. Uh, I was, yeah. Oh yeah. man. <sighs> okay. All right, so what's the next one? <laughs> that was really loud. It was loud. Anyway, all right. So we got, we did get another one. This one's less. Uh, Hey. hey, there we go. I was ready for it at that time. <laughs> a little bit less hero worship, a little bit more uh, foolish investing okay. goodness. Okay. Good. So we've got a question from Chris. Now, Chris sent us a private message, so I won't give you Twitter handle, but if he wants to let us know, I can let them know. I will do that. Uh, but Chris says, Dear Fools, I've never experienced a significant market downturn like many new investors. Can growth stocks that are expected to have high earnings returns buck a downward trend? Or will the wider market still weigh them down? Yes. And then second, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Secondly, how can you prepare your portfolio for a downturn after establishing a good cash position? So let's go first things first. Great question. You've given away the first half of it, but let, let's give me a little bit more detail than a single syllable answer. The, the reality is, is that the conditions that are required, I mean, for the most part, the market 
uh, is pretty rational. We like to sort of talk about how irrational and there is, but but it, it's uh, most of the time it's pretty level. Most of the time for most stocks, yeah, it, it's yeah. it's pretty sensible. So you don't really get these 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 huge across the board falls because you know pe- people will at a point come on in. Um, mm-hmm. When when you look at all the the, the major crashes. Well, just all the crashes, really. Yeah. They, they, the conditions aren't just that things are, are, are crap in the economy or you know businesses at large aren't doing that well. It, there is an unknown out there. There is a real fear and scare. So, two thousand and eight. I mean, we honestly didn't know what was going to happen with the financial. <laughs> we can look back at it in right, hindsight. Right, oh, right. what a great opportunity that was! It was brilliant. We should. But at the time, if you cast your mind back. The experts, everyone out there just genuinely didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. So in that environment, everyone takes their money out. Every, almost everyone. And, and it doesn't, I mean, this is, this is why in hindsight we look back and go, wow, what an opportunity, you know, as if Berkshire was ever going to go bust under that scenario, as if X, Y, and Z was ever, you know, Cochlear was not going to be around. But, you know, it is better to sort of take your money. No, no, let me rephrase that. It's not necessarily better. <laughs> for many you. for many people, the, the, the temptation is to take your money right. and just, just even though you might be locking in a, in a loss, just to avoid further pain because we just don't know. Which kind of exacerbates the downward pressure on prices, right? Which which feeds on itself. And right. then you get this capitulation, which even the most hardened of long-term investors at the point, oh, geez, maybe I should. And it's so it's, so we all think how we're going to act in a crash. Very few of us do. And so just, just to answer Chris's question in, in a long-winded way, the reality is is that when a, a genuine crash comes, everything is going to fall. And frankly, Chris, the growth stocks are going to fall even further yep. if history is any guide, yep. because because the the majority. So again, a company's value is, is generally um, all about what money it will earn over its lifetime. Yes. Growth stocks, when you look at their lifetime, most of their money is not yet earned. It will be earned in the future. Yes. And probably five, 10 years plus out in the future. In fact, a lot of these growth companies don't even make money. It's, yeah. it's all about what they will make in the future. And those so, are the ones that tend to be scariest when the market turns down, right? If, yep. you, if you're flight, the old flight to safety, it's kind of tempting to go back and say, well, the banks are still making money and Telstra is still making money. But yep. gee, that high-flying growth stock that has a really bright future. Maybe well, they're not, if they're not, if they're not cash flow positive, right. then you know, they've only got what's in the balance sheet, in the bank account to support them. And that's not going to last forever. So, so they should have, we should avoid growth stocks. Then. No, absolutely, oh. absolutely but not. But if they're going to fall during a crash, why would you want to buy them? Well, two things. One, you never know when the crash is going to come. You, you've, you've made the point repeatedly, which is, you know, the guy, <laughs> you and not. again, and again, which, which is, you know, the, pe- the people who have been avoiding the crash since 2012, and a lot of talk about it back then, have missed out on five or six years of phenomenal return. So there's, there's, the, mm. there's the opportunity cost, which is substantial. There's the second one, which I would say, it's, it's this idea of you know, who takes all their money and puts it all in one growth stock. I mean, yeah. you just don't do that. It's, it's, it's all these old, boring, but very sensible ideas of just spreading spreading your money around and having diversification, putting the money in that you can afford not to touch for five years. I mean, if, you, if you're saving for a deposit and you're planning on buying a house in six months' time, for the love of God, don't put it in the share market, <laughs> no matter how smart you are, right, you know, because right. you just don't know what is going to happen in that time frame. So if you've genuinely bought some uh, a nice mix of shares for the long term and things happen to crash, well, you're in a position where you can ride that through because you're right. not dependent on that to pay the bills and pay the rent and all the rest of it. If you're a long-term investor, you're looking at five plus years, probably mm-hmm. 10 plus years, and you're saying, I'm going to build real long-term wealth. Mm. You don't build real long-term wealth by trying to second-guess the declines, the temporary declines in the market. Mm. Those growth stocks, the Amazons of the world, I'll use that example again. Unfortunately, didn't own the shares back then. The shares went from three to 90 mm. and back to nine yeah. before finally going to $1,500. Yeah. Mm. You know, if you were trying to avoid a, a fall, you wouldn't have owned Amazon at 90 bucks. Mm-hmm. 
and you would have thought yourself smart if it had fallen a nine. You thought, ha ha, I avoided that. Mm. Now, we all want to think in hindsight, well, I would have bought it at nine. Guess what? You wouldn't have because that yeah. was when things were looking bleakest. And so no one was buying Amazon at nine bucks. The shares now are literally up hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of percent from that point. Well, it's always, it's it's such a good go-to example, but it's not a, right. it's not a solitary one, right? It's, well, Flight Center fell from 30 to three during the GFC, yeah. right? Now back to 60-odd, I think. So Chris also mentions that, you know, he said, um, what do you do besides having a good cash position? Now, you yep. interestingly enough, you said before that you you, you rarely do. Correct. Because you just fully invest. And I'll, I'll, I'll let you talk to that as well. But I, I think having, um, and this is a, a personal choice, but I think if, if, if you are genuinely worried, having a little bit of money on the side is a good thing in the sense that it, two things, it, it's, you've got some cash that you're not dependent on drawing it out of the market um, yep. should the worst happen. Yep. But also, and I think this is where Chris is getting at, is you've got the opportunity to perhaps buy in when things become very cheap. The hard thing about that is, as I say, is like things will get, things will drop 30%. And then there'll always be the question, well, maybe it could go further. Right. Uh, and then it prob- you'll buy and it probably will. And then you'll start second guessing it. And it's all very... So so just bear in mind that what you think you will do and what you will do will be very different things. But certainly, um, it's, 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 it's always nice to have a bit of a cash buffer. I'm going to be very quick because we're running well out yes, of time. Yes, we are. Yes, I realize. Unfortunately, yeah. Andrew, you're going to miss out on my high horse. I hate oh, to disappoint you. And no. Our listeners are clicking off right now thinking, I was only listening for Scott's high horse. It was the only reason I was here. I'm sorry. Oh, oh that's Oh, 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 that was like We're going through horses at a rate of night, too. I'm going to call from like Peter one of these days. <laughs> oh, dear, that was a bit brutal. All right. Was brutal. So, so having, having that taken care of, thank you, Liam, for putting <laughs> us or it out of its misery. Um, my, my, my quick view on that is so I, I'm in a funny position. I actually have some cash at the moment for reasons of just not getting around to invest it rather than mm-hmm. actually deliberately doing it. So, I will say I'm always fully invested by design. Mm-hmm. I'm not right now, and I'll say that for full disclosures because I just happen to have. Kind of save money and not invest. All this yet. money that's pouring into the Phillips coffers—it's oh, just a tough it's problem. To have. I, I'm getting knocked yeah. over by the amount of money. But so I do, I do have some cash on the sidelines, but not because I want to or I'm expecting anything, just because I haven't got around to mm-hmm. it. Generally speaking, I would recommend our members and our listeners be fully invested. I think, to your point, it's always tempting to say, "When the crash comes, I will do X." Mm. If you've had cash since 2008, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and you haven't invested because you're waiting for the crash. Shares have pretty much doubled since then. Mm. Any money, you know, the market would have to halve from this point even to get level with where we've been in the past. And that's not even including the dividends you might have earned on the way through. Mm. Or if you invested in a company that beat the market average, it might be up 100% by now. Mm. And so you kind of got this problem where it's tempting to say, oh, I'll, you know what? I've said this before, and this is not a high horse, although it might qualify as one. People say buy on the dips, right? Those are the people who wait for the shares to go up 30%. Hate that saying. Then it goes back 5%. and say, oh, buy on the dips. It's dropped 5%. We should buy now. Yeah. So no, no, you should have been buying all the way through because if you've waited for a 5% fall and it's got 30% in the meantime, you've cost yourself an absolute fortune. More to the fortune. point, you don't even know it's a dip until after the fact. It, like it, at this hey, point, this it's is, just going down. This is my you know? quasi high horse. Thank Sorry. you. Get, get off the horse. Uh, <laughs> I thought we weren't doing the high horse. <laughs> uh, kind of morphed. Anyway. so Can, look, can, think- we, can we say Farlap? Is, is it okay? <laughs> Farlap's dead. Okay. Let him kill Farlap. <laughs> Uh, the, so, look, Chris, I, I think, you know what, preparing for the downturn is actually, for mine, a mental exercise far more than a financial exercise. It's, it's basically saying it will come, my shares will fall, they will rise afterwards as long as you buy a quality portfolio of diversified shares. Mm-hmm. You'll be more than fine in the long term. It'll be painful. It'll feel really, really tough at the time. But for my money, I would stay fully invested and just simply roll with it. And if you can't roll with it to Andrew's point, then by all means, have some cash aside. Just bear in mind that because the market goes up over time on average, there's every chance that holding cash is probably going to cost you money rather than make you money. If that makes you sleep better at night, go for it. Otherwise, kind of just get used to the fact it's going to be a rough ride. Stay listening to the podcast and stay fully invested.
Can I just add one very quick thing? There, there is some people will be in the situation. Oh, we're not really out of time. Where, keep, where keep they, they, so you've got money in the market, or Chris is talking about having money. Let's go kill another there'll, horse if we don't. There'll be up. those who just have maybe sat, come into some money, maybe an inheritance, or you know they've they've mm-hmm. term deposit has matured, and now they've got the cash yep. as as a lump sum. Yep. Um, in that, in fact, my sister in law was in that situation recently, and the advice I gave to her was again, I she's what's what's going to happen in the market? Like I seriously have no clue. <laughs> um, uh, but but what I would suggest is rather than just taking all of it and putting it in the market now, put some in this month, maybe some the month after, and sort of dribble it and gives you that dollar cost averaging. You will look back in the years to come and know exactly what you should have done, <laughs> and it'll be really obvious. Maybe you should have put it all in on day one. Maybe you should have waited a year and then put it all in. Right. But it 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 it. it it reduces that reliance on timing um, and it really just smooths out that entry point a little bit. So if you can drip, depending on how much money you've got, if you can dribble that in over a period of years, um, it, it will mitigate that risk of a big brutal crash sort of coming and, and, and taking taking away a big swathe of it in one, one fell swoop. Andrew, what I appreciate about you, what our listeners appreciate about you is even we run out of time, you've still got more value to add. There's something else I'd like to add. No, good, I won't. Okay. Because we can do it later. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll edit this later. It'll be fine. It'll be a 15-minute podcast. You say that. Finished. You say that, but we won't. <laughs> All right. Well, that does wrap us up because we're well over time. But before we go, don't forget, you can and should subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast. Do you like the way I did that? I do. Stole it from you. Couldn't say it now because I'm really <laughs> sure you should. <laughs> Through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app or via the Triple M website. And if you like what we're doing, please give us a fat Big fat five-star rating on iTunes to tell your friends. We're sure they can use a little foolish straight talk too. And if that's- you want a little bit more, you can go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Thank you, Andrew. That's very kind. I had to do it. That wraps us up. We'll be back next week with another dose of foolish insight. Full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.